You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, uh, your daily coverage of the Cleveland Browns. Brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network for your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Um, guys, whether it's Google Play, whether it's uh, you know iTunes, whether it's Spotify, if you're looking for a new podcasting app, uh, Himalaya, you know, free, uh, you know, on your phone, whatever tablet you use. Uh, if you're looking for something different, looking for something new, check out Himalaya. You know, download it to uh, your smart device and go ahead and make sure you're following Lockdown Brown. Subscribe over there, get all the episodes over there. And I was always, when you get into the car, tell your smart device, play podcast Lockdown Browns and have the freshest episode brought up for you, uh, guys. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of you know, inter- uh, a lot of positive feedback with Dan Orlovsky interview yesterday, and you know, look, Dan was trending this way during the Brown season last year. And, you know, he was one of the, you know, part of it all where, you know, this is momentum has been built where everyone feels so positively about the Cleveland Browns, where now you're talking, you know, five primetime games, uh, maybe opening up week one at New England. You're talking about the, uh, you know, the triple header Thanksgiving game. There is a good chance. I'm going to tell you right now, you guys eat, make your meals early, hold your liquor early, because there's a good chance if you're a season ticket holder, your butt's going to be in first energy for 8:20 kickoff on Thanksgiving night. Don't hem, don't haw about it. You all wanted to be a good team. You all wanted all the accolades to go along with it. This is what it means. And uh, you know, Pete and I will be you know shoving the coffee down our throats at 11 o'clock at night trying to get through some post-game shows. But hey, it, it, I mean, it is what it is, and you know, this is what we all wanted. This is where it's going to be. So you know, the product is you know started with hard docs, and then obviously once you've got the ship righted. Um, this is where you're at here, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun, and you know this is another thing we keep getting to. Yeah, expectations, they're real, they're legitimate, they're not going away. Uh, Pete, uh, UNC had a pro day yesterday, and we had talked about this. Look, you know, as names start to drop off, names are gonna pop up. Um, a wide receiver from UNC yesterday, wide uh, linebacker from UNC yesterday. Uh, you know, guys with. Some numbers on the field, but you know, at this point, with you know some of these positional groups, you're not so set in stone, and you're still looking for some names, especially when you're the Browns and you're going to go in, and unless something changes, you're going to go into that fifth round, and you've got three picks. I mean, and those are probably going to be the last possibilities of anybody that could make this roster. So, I mean, you're looking for guys, and you may say, even though if he carries a seventh round grade, we really like the production, we really like the athletic profile. We're just going to go ahead and get it over with and take them now. Right. Um, once you get to day three, it becomes the wild, wild west as far as boards. If you really like a guy, grab him because you just don't know. But round four, you know, is relatively orderly. Well, some of it's your seven, in- well, fours, your really good guys, but maybe injury risk, trouble right. risk, your Antonio Callaway well, that, territory. That, but they, they also had, you know, you had that break that people sort of got to reorder and, and sort of make some sense of, of things. But once you get to five to seven, it's just bananas as far as when guys get drafted, who gets targeted. I mean, like the Patriots will take guys in the fifth round that they, you know, would uh, would sign as undrafted free agents just because they want to lock it down. Um, well, and the other thing is you might, you know, teams like the Browns, you may not get a shot at guys at undrafted free agents. Well, you guys are really good. There's not a lot of spots for my guy to make that team. I've got Arizona on line two. We're going to keep talking to them. Maybe, but like there there were a few teams like last year. Minnesota 
with linebackers like two years ago is absolutely loaded. They still got a ton of them. Um, I actually think the Browns may do better in undrafted free agents than they have in years past uh, because Hugh Jackson's gone and there's more certainty with futures. Um, I also think that people are going to, you know, especially offense, uh, you know, they may like what Freddie Kitchens is doing defensively. They like Steve Wilkes a hell of a lot better than Greg Williams, but it just comes down to, you know, realistically, I mean, certainly uh, roster space is, is something to keep in mind, but like, even when the Browns had roster spots, they were relatively uh, light on free agents just because, you know, nobody wanted to send their guy to a, a team where the guy coach was going to get fired or they thought he was a jackass and didn't want to, you know, even want put him in that situation. So on some, there, there's there's mitigating reasons for them to actually get more and, and less. So that I'm not too sure about. But as far as pro days, North Carolina and this week uh, later Virginia – uh, these are big deal pro days, um, and the reason they're a big deal is because the ACC is really good right now, uh, and and the Big Ten to a certain extent is in that same boat, and they've been crushing it with workouts anyway. So Iowa had a big deal pro day um, because they you can't just invite every single ACC player. They already tried with Clemson, and most of them weren't that great. Um, <laughs> but like. Anthony Ratliff Williams, I have not seen all of the data, but some of the stuff that got released was very promising. He was the best receiver on a a pretty underwhelming uh, team. A junior that came out, big kid with some production. Cole Holcomb is the was the star of the show. He's a linebacker. He was at the Shrine Game. Uh, really, really fast, athletic. And if you watch his tape, you're you may see the athleticism you also start to wonder why he's so slow to react to things but yeah i mean if you're looking at potential will linebackers and some of those things he's absolutely in that mix iowa had a free safety uh that i think you know even if you pay the substantial iowa tax which is you know in the, in line with lsu and in some of these other schools that really juice their numbers i still think he's ultimately going to be a more attractive prospect than amani hooker um so First, uh, this draft could really use the help. Uh, last year, I think I ended up with 131 draft targets. Uh, I'm not even close to 100 yet. I think I'm at 80-some. And even some of those are really flirting with it on the age level, like Toledo. All of their guys are old. Um, this this draft could use the help in terms of these prospects. So I, it, it is a welcome welcome sight to see this. Uh, there's an offensive tackle out of Villanova who looks pretty promising. Uh, and then, you know, there's some bum school uh, that you went to uh, that may or may not have had a guy that, that, that performed well and had really productive. Well, and to verify it, yes, Pete, I, I did the work and I did the digging. So it is, um, and this is where you like social media and you like your mom giving you props on Facebook. Um, guys, I've mentioned the name before. Um, no, my alma mater, Monmouth University. Uh, Miles Austin, uh, Chris Hogan, guys who have gone through there. Um, Reggie White Jr., and no, not that Reggie White, but his father, Reggie White, was an NFL player. 6'3", 210-pound wide receiver. Um, Pete will not disagree with this. Production was off the charts. Produced very well. Yeah, he's a, he's a plus 40% market share guy. He had, uh, I looked this up because I actually wrote him down. Uh, let's see. He is 42.3% market share this past season. Um, 
but the only workout results we got were the 40 at 4.45, which if he's actually the 210 he's listed, uh, if he weighed in that, that's really, really good. 37 and a half inch vertical, very, very good. And which, you, six, which, you can't, which you can't cheat. You, you can't fall Yeah, it's very hard to day. cheat jumping. <laughs> um, and then 6.773 cone, which is unbelievable. That's, uh, that's in line with uh, the kid from Notre Dame, Miles Boykin, had a 6.6. He's six seven seven, but he was at two twenty. Like those are that's a freakishly fast time, if that's legit. So, you know, and the, even if it's off by a tenth, it's still a really really right. good number. Like if you tax this to seven, you know, let's say let's really get nuts and say let's add a quarter of a second, make it seven oh two. At two hundred ten pounds, that's that's excellent. Uh, yeah. That's more than enough. So, if he's sub seven at that size, that's plenty. Um, you know, even though. Uh, Jeff went to the school and has been touting this guy. He is a guy that was on radars. It's not like, uh, you know. But he wasn't, just, though. He couldn't even have gotten the, the All-Star game in California. I mean, I don't know. You know, and this is where I had my beef with the Senior Bowl this year. Because this with Phil Savage, it was always, he wanted as many guys off the radar in there to commit as early as possible. And then, you know, obviously Nagy came in here this year and it was, nope. If we don't know your name and you haven't been on TV, you know, it, it just seemed different the way it was done this year. But I couldn't believe he couldn't get a sniff of an all-star game just with the production alone. Well, that's where, I mean, I, I say he was on a radar because I found his uh, I found his birth date on a chart of, you know, one of these spreadsheets uh, with a million players on it. So he was on there. So at least somebody has actually heard of him. So he is somebody that was somebody he count for. But what I would say now is don't be surprised if, you know, especially teams who, with, with you know, the big head honchos are at the owners' meetings. So don't be surprised if some of the guys this week um, are guys, you know, Reggie White Jr. may be a guy that's targeted as, you know, either a private workout, which does not count as one of your visits, which you do at the school, or – he gets called in for a visit, which is at, at your facility uh, when you get 30 of the, 30 non-local uh, visits. So I would not be surprised whether it's the Browns or other teams uh, if if you start seeing him pop up uh, as an option. And certainly, I don't know where Monmouth falls in terms – maybe it's uh, – you know, Pronounce it correctly. Monmouth. Well, yes, Monmouth. But I, I don't know what – you know. I, I'm guessing that falls in line with – Either the the New Jersey football, te- New Jersey professional teams, or Philadelphia. One of those will prob- one of those groups will get likely be able to bring him in for local day. The Ravens would also be one. He's a uh, he's a Maryland kid, so obviously where you're from also equates into this yes. too. So you know, and where your your residence. Yeah, so there's four out of thirty two right there who can and look. Uh, you know, obviously Giants need wide receivers. Uh, Baltimore, <laughs> yeah, they need like nine of them. Uh, they don't even call them back. <laughs> Would you? If, Look, would you? If you watched the last three weeks of what the Baltimore Ravens ran, uh, yeah, I mean, no, sorry. I, I, I have zero interest in playing there right now. And Because the only thing you're going to do is you're going to do it on a promise that they're going to open it up and let Lamar Jackson play, and there's still four tight ends on the roster. Well, even if they let him play, are we are we sure he can throw? Like the, there's but more. there's four tight ends. So yeah, I mean, obviously they listen. built this with the mind of maybe we're going to you – know, it seems like they built this to – they think they're going to use him in this capacity, and we've gone over this so many times. He's going to break eventually. Yeah, well, it's either break or learn how to pass because of the way they're going. They may they may be in the market for a quarterback again pretty quickly. 
And it was nice of Harbaugh to say today, uh, oh yeah, the Browns are the most talented team in this division. But the thing with Lamar Jackson, if you're not going to let him be a traditional quarterback, you don't buy a Porsche 911 and turn it into your commuter car. You're eventually going to be busted up on the side of the road. Just because Lamar Jackson runs the ball well, it doesn't mean it's going to work week in, week out for sustainability. But guys, that's just such another story for such another day. It's, it's fascinating. This is this is right up Jack Duffin's alley. This is the potential draft a quarterback thirty two overall, let him walk in five years and get another one, or keep adding to it and just get a bunch of these guys to keep doing this and play eleven on eleven football and see how far you can go with it. <laughs> it's it, you know, and but the other thing though is is you can't sustain the defensive hits. But, I mean, at least they have the secondary. You got that, at least. Guys, remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked On Browns on the new Himalaya podcast app. In a very expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On Browns. Pete, we, we actually we, we got some more here. And, obviously, you know, a couple big pro days coming. We have we have hyped Virginia. You know, Juan Thornhill, we're hoping to get to see a little bit more. I had mentioned the quarterback, Tim Harris, um, if you want maybe a Justin Lane, and this is something we do a lot of times, you know, when we talk draft here, you know, Pete with his background with it, me with mine is if I can't get so and so here, is there somebody similar I can get a little later on? Um, that guy Tim Harris, he could be something of a Justin Lane type. But we do have a, a couple of good questions here, and, and I'm going to go with this. I tell you what, let's just go with this one first here. Uh, you um, you know, uh, from the Jake, uh, host of the Jake pod, uh, the uniform talk came up today, Pete. And, you know, for basically, it seems like the second year in a row, D Haslam has admitted the uniforms suck, other than the color rush. The color rush is fantastic. It makes everybody look faster. I don't know why, but it just, something about it. Where's the right avenue to go here? Because, look, when your colors are brown, orange, and white, What's the best way, Pete, to, to come up with something here? Because, look, you want every kid right now, whether they're in Cleveland or even a lot of kids, because when it's Baker Mayfield, it's Miles Garrett, it's Odell Beckham, you got these big names. I mean, these jerseys are going to be popping up all over. What's the best way to make them? I mean, I, you want the markability of it, but you want everybody to say, you know, that's a sharp-looking jersey. How do you do it with Brian and Orange? Well, first and foremost, let's point out the, the, the thing that works out so beautifully for the Browns. They have Baker Mayfield and all the jerseys he's already sold. He's already one of the – I assume he's in the top ten. I'm, I think it's safe to say he's in the top ten for jersey sales. Odell the Beckham's, state of Oklahoma alone. Yeah, it's Odell Beckham's top five, and all those Giants fans or random Odell Beckham fans are now potentially going to go out and buy Browns jerseys now – and then a year, uh, the the Browns are going to be able to cash in on new ones for both. So they're not hurt from that standpoint. Um, the issue for the Browns is trying to keep them looking like a professional organization and avoiding looking like uh, the looking like Bowling Green. That's that's what the, the fear is. Is if you get too sort of modernized you end up looking like, you know, like a cheap college team. Um, the color rush may be the hint of where this thing should go. Uh, you basically take that as a model and sort of address it from there. A deep um, chocolate. 
if you will. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that and it's, you know, it's one color throughout and then you're basically accenting it with stripes and other things to, you know, sort of make it so it doesn't look like, you know, like Muhammad Massaqua looked like he wasn't wearing pants with the original brown pants uh, for, for a, a while. Um, and it just said, it was literally just brown pants with browns written on the front. There were several players, Muhammad Massaqua notably, who just looked like he wasn't wearing any pants. Um, now with the stripes down the side, you sort of have uh, a little bit of an accent that sort of stands out. My guess is that that's where this starts. They basically – I know they've been working on this. They, they've basically said this. In fact, he has them said this last year they had yes, been working did. on um, my guess is with the popularity of the color rush that they're going to – that at least some thought process has basically – whatever ideas they had in, 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 at first that they liked, that they basically kept those there and then either they had a whole new set or whatever based on the concept of the color rush stuff is really popular. Let's tweak this. Let's start from here and see where we end up. Um, so that's – may ultimately be what it comes down to is whatever set they originally came up that up with that they like and then another set that they like based off of you know off the color rush success and then what they come up with without with based on that initial look and then what i'm guessing is whatever one wins out will be the you know their regular jerseys and whatever loses finishes second in that case will be the alternate jerseys uh like the color rush or whatever well and here's the other thing um nobody in that building you know and look there's always something with jerseys and uniforms wherever the sport is those color rushes were three and oh last year that it may sound weird to say this but there's people and especially older people who were superstitious john dorsey who wears the same stinking outfit every day uh, there's people who are superstitious, and you look, you just carry it. You know, I am. Uh, I admit it. I, I totally am. But there's something about that color scheme and the way it all put together, and the fact that they were three and zero, and now all of a sudden this franchise is, you know, back. You know, what, whatever. There, there's a lot, a lot to that. Um, look, multiple franchises have won Super Bowls in new uniforms, and and the Browns are setting up where. You know, we favor them to win the division this year, uh, even if they ultimately fall short. And then next year, in new uniforms, uh, is is the year that we all are assuming they're going to make a serious push. The Rams won the Super Bowl in brand new uniforms with the greatest show on turf. Um, there are, uh, there's at least one other team that's done that. I think the the Buccaneers came out like five and zero when they when they uh, went from cream creamsicles to the pewter. Uh, Should have never gone away from the creamsicles. Well, <laughs> listen, they're very nice on a change of pace. Week in and week out is rough. Uh, but in any case, whatever you want to call it, there is some juice that teams seem to get out of with new uniforms, uh, you know, assuming those uniforms don't look like shit, uh, that, uh, you know, that you can get out of. And, and it's it's had success, and, and the Browns sort of line up for it. So it'll be one more thing that's sort of going for them, uh, you know, in 2020. And, well, here's one thing. You know, the Jets, I believe it's April 4th, they are about to release new uniforms. So this is something where the Browns should monitor because, look, when those come out, you're going to look for reaction. You're going to look for sales. But it's, you know, it's just another part of the whole picture. But it is, fun, you know, something fun to debate. 
But Bring back the old the old mean greens of the uh, New York Sack Exchange. The, the rumor is it, it's going closer to Kelly Green. That is the rumor. So we'll see. As long as they don't screw it up, we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, guys, at the end of the day, you can put them out there and practice close. If you got studs like this with the Browns, it shouldn't freaking matter. Um, Nick Prater with a question here. Uh, why couldn't we stop the run last year? And will the moves we've made at this point, Pete, help? Well, you traded away your best run-stopping defensive tackle last year. I mean, people can mock Danny Shelton all they want. He's really goddamn good at stopping the run. That's uh, how Larry Ogunjobi got discovered because Danny Shelton was consuming blockers and other guys were allowed to roam free and make plays. Right. So, And Larry Ogunjobi's a great player, but you, what you Did had last that Has Shelton gotten signed? I don't think so. Still uh, What you had that year was you had... Danny Sheldon and then uh, Jamie Meter and then Larry Ogunjobi, sort of that third guy who's sort of getting sorted out. And he had a uh, a glute issue, I think, uh, that that hampered him a little bit. But they had this consistent rotation where last year it was Larry Ogunjobi and then Larry Ogunjobi tired. And then the third guy was Larry Ogunjobi exhausted. Um, that you didn't have that protection. And then on the other part, the other the three technique, you had Trevon Coley, and then you were going down to nothing. I mean, and that's where Emmanuel Ogbo ultimately ended up playing a lot of snaps. And I like that look theoretically as a pass rush option, but it certainly wasn't something you wanted to live in as an every-down run defender. So... You know, it, from 2017, where the Browns were one of the best run defending teams in the league, to 2018, where they were one of the worst, there's a real obvious guy who's missing there. And, well, two really. Jamie Meter certainly counts. Um, but they lost that guy who's just there to soak up blocks. And people like to joke about it. He was the jump on pile guy. He didn't get a pass rush and all this other shit. But the fact is, he's very good at his job. And that's why. Whether it's him, and I, I would certainly love to bring him back. And you know, the, the deal Malcolm Brown got was the, the framework I'd love to see, which is three years, fifteen million. And you give Larry Ogunjobi still the man, but you get a guy in there who's taking my my, my number was thirty to thirty five percent. Those are the amount of snaps I want Larry Ogunjobi to get rest. Last year he was flirting with ninety percent much of the year, and I think he ended up at like seventy eight percent. You know, this was with a torn bicep and, and, you know, missing time at the end of the year when he's being evaluated for a concussion. Um, they need another guy in there, it, 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 you know, whether it's drafting, signing or whatever. Earlier, obviously, you and I were both pushing for Mike Pinnell. The Patriots signed him. Malcolm Brown is now with the Saints. But and and, and maybe the Browns just don't have that money to do it. But may, if they can, that would certainly be a great option. Or if they have to. Jamie Meter, as far as I know, isn't doing anything. And bring him back to compete with Carl Davis, who you hope is going to show a pulse this year. Uh, but they may need to draft a guy, whether it's a guy like Greg Gaines or Tristan Hill out of UCF. Greg Gaines is out of Washington. He's a big, big load there. Um, if you draft Kalen Saunders, he has a little bit of a, ability to do both, though Kalen Saunders to this point has a lot of work to do as a run defender. Um but the bottom line is Larry Ogunjobi needs help, and I think that help comes in 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 the, in the shape of a real plugger. Um, certainly, if you can get more out of that position, out of that guy than just a, a, a run stopper, that'd be great. 
But whatever he that player is able to do is come in and stop the run. That means Larry Ogunjobi is fresher and able to play more pass rushing situations. So he gets to be more of an impact player. That's really what that position needs to be able to do. I'm not sure they've totally solved the issue just yet. I mean, Sheldon Richardson doesn't scream of it. But the thing is, is with the overall talent, and Vernon does a nice job of it. You know, he can set his edge. He can hold his own. You know, Miles obviously can do everything. But you, with a better defensive line, you know, I think they will do better than they are. But yeah, I, I 100% agree. Even with you know, it, with these teams where you're going, you know, and we talk about it all the time, the Jacksonville mold and other teams where you're going seven, eight, nine deep on the defensive line, you want that one dude who just you know, he's your run plugger, and you want to know what he's three twenty-five, he's three thirty. And he's gonna. If you're gonna run the ball, he's gonna command two guys. There's still work to be done in that. But as we keep saying, if the Browns are gonna be playing from ahead a lot of the time, that in itself may eliminate the run game. So there's but here's the problem. Is let's just put it this way: Larry Ogunjobi goes down for three games. What happens? Done. Trouble. Like that. That. That really is. I mean, even if you even if you hate the idea of Danny Shelton or whatever. Uh, you you can at least appreciate unless you're basically saying Carl Davis is going to be the man and it was entirely a Greg Williams issue or whatever. And I'm I'm not saying he shouldn't get a shot, but I am saying that if Larry Ogunjobi goes down for any length of time, he went down for part of a game against the Ravens and it felt like the world was over. I, and that's how bad it was. It was like lawn furniture was out there trying to stop the run at the end at, at the third quarter of that game. It was just. That was it. So they've got to do something. And yes, seven, eight deep is absolutely where this should go. I think the Browns need two more defensive tackles. Yeah, I mean, you know, Chris Smith is here. Obviously, Janard Avery. I, I, I think you're. I don't want to say covered, because you know, but if you find somebody you think can make it, but it, it, more help on the interior at this point is certainly still needed. Um, and I want to get to the guy who asked the question because this was a good question here. Um, but Pete, basically what it is, is you know we've spent so much time talking, whether it's safety and linebacker at 49 and 80. And I understand, guys. Um, but right now, I mean, you know, those are the two biggest needs. And look, not everything will be filled through free agency. You know, as Pete mentioned, you know, we still need two defensive tackles. Ren L. Ren. But we'll talk about that another time, another day. Um, but this question here is actually a, a very good one as well. Uh, Chandler Adamson, actually, he's been coming through with a couple lately now. What if what if forty nine and eighty the Browns felt it needed to be offense? Um, you know, running back could come into play. Offensive tackle obviously would come into play because you're not sure where the future of the position is at offensive tackle. So I guess we'll start with offensive tackle, Pete. Uh, that's a good question because right now there isn't one. I mean, <laughs> right? I'll, I agree. I agree. Maybe it's what more I'm eighty. Right Maybe it's here. more eighty. Well, there, there's there's look, there's a ton of athletic da- data that. You know, I either haven't seen or it just hasn't become available yet. Or there's, right, or there's a guy like Greg Little who, you know, the tape didn't thrill you. But he's supposed to be really athletic. But he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's just like it's another one. Like, just, traits, because, just because the he went to the had a rough go this year. Just because he went to the SEC doesn't mean he's athletic. So right now, based on what I've got, I've only got six offensive tackles as draft targets right now. I expect there to be a few more. But right now I'm looking at Andre Dillard and then my next guy is Oliudo. Uh, I love Oliudo. I don't yep. want to take 49. No. Um, 
but right now, and all the other guys are, are smaller school. The uh, the only other big school guy I've got is is Caleb McGarry. And my only issue with him, the reason I've got him lower than Oliudo and Titus Howard, is because he's already twenty four, um, and seems and, to be a plug and play right tackle. Well, so are you gonna yes. drop that at forty nine? The, the the problem is, you know, the, but that's the thing. First, I still think he's going to go in the first round. Um, People are going Why to take are his, people drafting in, these old guys in, in, in the first round. I, Piper, Terry McLaren, twenty. I know, but they're going to see six seventeen, six seven, three seventeen, really well put together and really athletic. And he is plug and play. That's part of the reason I don't think he's going to be of interest to the Browns is because they don't necessarily need plug and play. They need. Guys that fit when Campen wants and develop for a year. Right now, the Browns have arguably three plug-and-play tackles on their on their team, uh, and two of them are going to play. Uh, you know, it's Greg Robinson, it's it's uh, what's his Chris Chris Hubbard, Hubbard, and then Kendall Lamb is the third one. Um, Who I don't could conceivably see- beat out Hubbard for the right tackle position? Right, I, I don't see it with Desmond Harrison. I won't be surprised if he's not here. Even at training, by the time training camp rolls around, whether he's traded, released, whatever, and I have uh, nobody's gambling no, on a twenty-five-year-old, right? So, to me, and it's not to say they couldn't take Caleb and Gary. It's just I, I think what they'd rather get is somebody like Oli Udo, who's twenty-two, uh, or Titus Howard, who's I think he's uh, he's twenty-two as well. I, there's just younger guys. Tyler Raymer from San Diego State is 21. Uh, the kid from Brandon Hitner from Villanova is a little older, but none of them are in that 24 range. But and they're these all guys, guys that, they could go the Austin Corbett route, where they're around for right, a year. Exactly, you have, you know, exactly. Go ahead. That's exactly it, and you're not going to want to do that with. But you, I should, I should preface by saying you should not want to do that with a guy who is 24 years old. That theoretically already uh, should be on the field because every every day he's not on the field, you're essentially losing a year uh, of his theoretical prime at that point. Uh, these guys, all, all these other guys I'm mentioning, have you know upside at that point, should cost much less to acquire. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, but other than that, really, unless you're saying tight end, this is another one I have a problem with. Unless, you know, the, the big obvious two aren't going to be there short of, you know, a liquor store robbery or, you know, an injury that we hope doesn't happen. Um, but I mean, guys, we've got people who are willing to do bad things. So if somebody wants to drop a dime bag in the back of one of those guys' cars, I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. But no, those two, it, it's not even happening. And I love the TJ Hawkinson at 32 to New England. Get over yourselves. That's not happening. Right. So. There, the, the the one guy I want no part of is Irv Smith. I, I, I there are people who love him. God bless him. I don't see it first and six, foremost. Three, six three two forty. It was six two two forty one. I mean, he's an H back. You can't yeah, draft an H back in the top forty five. Right. You, you know, and look, I know somebody said love they're going. Love you, Jefferson. Love you, Jefferson. Well, you can, of course, you can put him on the line. I'm sorry, I, I, put him in front of Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is going to take his very long arms. And get to him before he ever gets to Miles Garrett. He's just going to be a blocking sled at that point. Jannard Avery, have- Avery was dropping right tackles on their ass last year. You're going to put Irv Smith in that situation? I don't so, see it. 
if you're taking an, an H back that high, it has to be somebody who's a really, really dynamic playmaker who can be either out in space on the slot, moved all over the place. And, and to me, Irv Smith is not that guy. The athleticism doesn't say, say it's there, and neither does his production. So to me, the next man up at that point is probably Cahale Waring from San Diego State, who's a really nice player who's relatively new to football, um, was productive at San Diego State, was athletic. But again, I wouldn't say it's out of the question that he could go that high, but I don't think the Browns are going to be in the market for a tight end that high. Obviously, they have David Njoku, and they brought in the kid from Kansas City who's basically like you know, a, an accounting trick version of, of Fels. Darren Fells who blocks a little bit better. Or would you um, rather just li- I, give Seth the valve the option over some of these guys? Right. That's the other the other guy who suddenly made you know, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, has has a little more life in him still. And that I'm sure I'd love to add a guy, you know, I I'm absolutely in favor of drafting another tight end. I would love the Browns to have four tight ends that they feel like they have to roster every week. You know, if that's Foster Moreau, if that's Josh Oliver, you know, those are really nice players. They may go earlier than the Browns want to pick them, but I don't think they're in the conversation at 49. So really it comes down to wide receiver. And wide receiver, you can make a real case at 49. Wide receiver gets interesting because if if, if guys don't go in the first round, and I don't think they will other than maybe uh, DK Metcalf, and I think that's a mistake. You know, if Debo Samuel is sitting there at 49 – I could absolutely see the Browns saying we want Debo Samuel. If Nikhil Harry is sitting there at 49, he's absolutely in the conversation for me. A.J. Brown at 49, absolutely in conversation. And I had somebody ask me earlier, you know, is Andy Isabella in that conversation? My answer would be probably not, but you can't rule it out just because of, you know, his skill set and what he can actually do for an offense. And maybe there's there's a a conversation with Miles Boykin in it, but I think he's more of a three-to-four type guy. But also, um, if, so, Higgins, if Higgins comes back, though, now you're talking about these guys being the fifth guy. You have Willies, you have Ratley. There's, a, it becomes a really tough, a tough position to spend high on. I, yeah, it, it's a, it's a reps question at that point, and you know, or even if they're going to get enough, where I mean, you you don't ever want to cut your third round pick. Sure, uh, you know, and and or or the other side of that is you end up cutting a guy that maybe really liked last year. And they go to uh, because, Baltimore because there's no wide receivers there. Well, and and there's a legit possibility that's going to happen anyway. That you know, much like you know, when when the Browns got Carl Davis, you know that the writing was on the wall that the Browns were going to have an option to get one of the Ravens' defensive linemen. They had too many. The Browns may be in a situation at several positions, yep. the wide receiver most notably, where they just you can basically just expect them to end up in Baltimore unless somebody puts in a claim ahead of them just because they are going to be in a position where they need anything they can get uh, at that position. So of of, of the offensive positions, I, I mean, it's theoretically possible that we revisit the Joel Batonio conversation at tackle and there's an, an, an interior guy sitting there that they love and they, they, they do what they did this year uh, and ultimately – you know, next year when we're, we're saying goodbye to Greg Robinson uh, or Chris Hubbard or potentially both, that maybe Joel Batonio kicks out and they, they draft, you know, one of these interior guys like a Chris Lindstrom, you know, a, a Tanner Farmer or, or one of those type of guys or maybe one of these centers uh, that you could, could 
do that, but it seems like the Browns really like what they have in terms of the interior and don't want to mess with it. So it really seems like it's more of the offensive tackle or, or those other spots. But what I think this whole conversation underlines is the lack of offensive talent in this draft class as a whole. Uh, you know, if, if we talk about defense a lot for 49th pick, but really if we want to talk about like out of the box thinking, and we're talking about 49th pick, you know, to me, it's a guy like Zach Allen from Boston college who could theoretically, to me, he's a three technique at this point with his athleticism and stuff, or a guy like Charles Amena, who, uh, you know, who's again, same thing is a three technique at this point where you want to get more of an interior, more interior help more athleticism up front and just keep the pressure up and going. Or, you know, Kalen Saunders, who I think is absolutely a legitimate pick at 49. Again, I, I've said I will continue to say he is raw, but on the numbers you can make the case that he could go in the first round. If if he gets to 49 and you grab him, I will have no issues with it. Maybe there, there are guys that I would rather pick at that situation, but I'm certainly not going to hate on that pick. And then, you know, if he, if he somehow gets to 80, then that is, you know, the pants fly off in that situation. House yeah, money. I mean, it, it becomes it, – legitimately, and they may trade up to do that, it becomes Larry Ogunjobi where you're sitting here going, how the hell did this type of player end up here? Um, so, yeah, I, I, offense, again, I'm hoping more guys come up. You know, there's a lot of ACC Pro Days this week, a lot of guys uh, that, that have some talent, Miami – uh, has an offensive tackle, Tyree St. Louis, I believe his name is, who's you know another big dude who came from like one of those IMG academies who's interesting. And they've got some other guys in that mix. Uh, and, and apparently a fullback, quote-unquote fullback, who's 240 pounds and ran a 4-4 and only got the ball 28 times, which makes me not surprised why Miami is shitty. Um, <laughs> the, but the, the, the as much as pro days in a lot of ways feel like they're over – just because we've had the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and all that. This last week, week and a half, there are a lot of guys that are coming out of the woodwork in terms of big conferences that guys who, quote, feel like sleepers but aren't because they were big-time schools, but they are guys who we just weren't talking about. And and if it's, you know, the, the linebacker from UNC, Cole Holcomb, or – uh, the the kid from the wide receiver from North Carolina or Alameda Zacchaeus or Gerald Willis is a guy who's going to test. I assume I'm hoping he's not opting out or you know. And then we've got these still unknowns of basically what what could be in a pro day of itself, which is the guys who didn't test at Alabama and West Virginia. Um, if they're going to have makeup dates and all that stuff. So there's a lot still to come out that could really help bolster this class. But yeah, the there's a vacuum there offensively in terms of talent between where the Browns were picking at 17 and, and where they, they, the offensive talent really hits where the rubber meets the road, which I think is closer to 80. There's no doubt. I mean, the off, the it's, it's very just dropped whether it's the wide receiver position and my buddy Jim uh, Jim Coburn, this is always when he uses the wide receiver position. There's a lot of side pieces. There's not a lot of marriage material. Um, a couple things here. We got one more question before we put a bow on this. Um, guys, I have a pinned tweet to my page. Um, <clears throat> my cousin Richard, his daughter Caitlin, 28 years old, uh, two young two young daughters at home, similar to me. Well, my girls aren't young anymore, but um, she, Caitlin is going to get a heart transplant. 
Um, so obviously financial things. So there's a GoFundMe. It is the pin tweet on my page. Guys, even if you cannot give a dime of money, and I understand, I will never ask you for your money. If you can't, you can't. I 100% understand that. Retweet, please. Um, it's it's a tough situation. Um, the kids are with my mother's best friend. You know, sometimes bloodlines aren't always. You know, my aunt Patsy has been my aunt Patsy since the day I was born. So not technically cousins, but very important people to me. So if there's anything you could do, I would greatly appreciate that. Uh, iTunes rating reviews, uh, you know, guys, drop a you know, ra- you know drop a review uh, and a rating over there, please. I do appreciate that. Pete, we got one more question here, um, and this is from uh, Gary Garbasic, and he's actually been a really good follow here over the last, you know, probably I would say month, month and a half here. Do we really want to open up Week One at the New England Patriots? I'll start, and the reason I'll start with is, look, New England's going to have a lot of changes on offense. And we, Pete, I know we touched this earlier somewhere on this show. Um, you want to get that out of the way as early as you can. You don't want to face New England week 16 where all of a sudden now maybe playoff seating is on the line or anything of that nature. You, you want to rip that Band-Aid off right away and with an older team. And look, there's no denying it. The Patriots are, are an older team. But if, if they're going to be in you know the post-Gronk hangover, um, right now, Julian Edelman and you know what else is there of that wide receiving core? I think you want to face New England as soon as you possibly can, as opposed to 15, 16, 17. I love the idea of playing New England week one. I don't love the idea of playing that is a you know a highly you know anticipated national TV game where the flags um, may fall a certain way. Right. Well, not even that, but I mean, like, on the one hand, yeah, I would love to catch New England early. They tend to be a team that picks up rhythm uh, and gets momentum as they go. Uh, but at the same time, my worry is is a couple things. The Browns are still a young team or have a young coaching staff relative to experience. Um, what I'm worried about is – and this will be a battle regardless of when they play and, and who they play uh, throughout the season. But I am worried about trying to be live up to the hype and style points. Um, I want this team to learn how to win and learn how to win consistently. I also don't want to get caught up in you know people being disappointed if they only win by three versus winning by twenty one and and putting it on teams and. When you get it, when you get into that situation, potentially week one against a team like New England, my fear is that you basically you you get so caught up in what you're supposed to be and how good you're supposed to be, and you basically start reading your own press clippings. And this will be a battle for the coaching staff, and, and I think Freddie Kitchen's up to it. But nevertheless, there's still a susceptibility to, and we dealt with this last year in some of those road games where, you know, Baker Mayfield. One of the things he had to learn was trying to score seven before you score 21 um, that, you know, some of these guys, and it won't be just him. It'll be guys like Beckham. It'll be guys like miles Garrett and some of these other, other guys that, you know, DB is trying to make big, big plays as opposed to making the right plays and getting beat because they're gambling, making throws. They shouldn't make trying to make a cut because they, 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 they see a, you know, a you know, Nick Chubb or whoever sees a home run as opposed to just making the right play. And you end up, shooting yourselves in the foot 
trying to, to live up to that, and you end up losing and running into a buzzsaw, and then you're trying to basically pick yourself off the mat as everybody you know in football watching world is now raining down about how you're shitty and you were overrated and you weren't worth the hype and all that stuff. So there's positives and negatives to that. Certainly, you know, you get to the old cliche of there, you know, no one improves more than from one week one to week two. This is especially true in high school and college. Um, But uh, still there's part of me that would like to get a game, you know, under their, under their belt you know, at a normal one o'clock, four o'clock type time, you know, where it's not every all eyes are on them. Hopefully they get a win, get a little momentum before they are suddenly thrust into the spotlight. But, you know, if that if that happens and the Browns are playing the Patriots, you know, open open the season on that Thursday night, you know, or, or Sunday night, whichever one it is. Well, uh, Thursday's already established, so that's out yeah. of the question. And Bears, uh, Packers, yawns yeah. to open up the season. <laughs> right, you can watch Mitchell Trubisky not evolve. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's you know that Sunday night, whatever, yeah, on you know we will certainly be excited about it if it happens. It'll be a big deal, but yeah, it certainly wouldn't hurt my feelings if they save that for week two, week three, whatever. I would just rather get it away. And look, I mean, if you were to say right now, Browns Patriots, whatever week it is, oh, the Browns could lose that game. Then just get it the hell out of the way. And just you know, go ahead and go focus on the next fifteen. Have your home opener be Cincinnati. Kick the doors out of them. It's one and one. We're back feeling good. Whatever. But even still, I would rather get New England extremely early while they're still finding. And, and look, this is what Bill does. Is Bill says, "All right, this is the brand we are this year." So go ahead, and get out of the way. Um, with that, guys, we're going to put a ball on this. We got some great listener questions. We'll get to and we'll incorporate it in. You know, over the next couple of days. Uh, you know, obviously, as Pete said, we have some more big pro days here coming. Uh, you know, Brian Burns. I hope tomorrow. I hope he's just hanging out and you know, handing out cigars and shaking hands. There's nothing he needs to do at Florida State Pro Day, but a lot more coming here as the week goes on. You know, as Pete said, we got a lot here closing out, and then we'll get into early next week, and you know, maybe these Alabama kids will finally show some numbers. Uh, you can run, but you can't hide. Uh, Pete's work over at NFL Spin Zone, guys. Make sure you're reading over there. The Locked On Browns Twitter account. We always, as always, keep it a follow back account. So make sure you follow in there. Anything you need, send me a DM, something you want to put on Twitter, social media, show idea, whatever, send it over there. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, as, you know, as far as the show, always keep the reviews coming, guys. It, it means a ton here. And I don't need you to leave a review on iTunes that Pete Smith was once mean to me on Twitter. No. If you're at least going to bash the show, at least listen to an episode and bring some freaking concrete evidence to it. Guys, the show keeps growing and growing and growing. If you want to be a negative Nancy or a Debbie Downer, that's fine. Um, for those who I know you guys are associated with, I, you know, I'm not going to go that same route on the other shows. I will not do that. I've told you this. That is not the route I'm going to go to. I'm going to stand on my numbers, stand on my downloads. We're doing very well over here. We work very hard. We put a ton of effort into this. So for all of you who are here and appreciate it, thank you. Thank you so much. If you're not normally somebody who leaves a review, I appreciate it if you would. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. Guys, again, whether it's Google, whether it's iTunes, whether it's Spotify, you're looking for a new spot, uh, you know, a new podcast app, check out Himalaya. Make sure you're subscribed and listen to the Locked On Browns over there. Uh, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.